Hello and welcome to the Spiraling Higher podcast hosted by me, Sam, Mindset and Manifestation Coach. And me, Gina, your Biz and Mindset Coach. We're here to support you on your spiritual journey by bringing you intimate and raw conversations about healing, manifestation, consciousness, and spirituality. We hope this podcast makes you feel less alone as you become aware of your patterns and limiting beliefs to uplevel your life, manifest like a boss, and together, spiral higher. Finally back home after literally an entire week of being away from my bestie and twin flame, Gina. It's always so painful when you're gone. (laughs) I just patiently wait for you to return. I know because when I'm away on my vacations, I am so immersed in the present moment. I don't go on my phone a lot. If I can, I don't even take my phone off airplane mode because that costs extra money and I don't see the value (laughs) because I'm like, I don't need it. I don't need my phone, right? And so I didn't get to talk with Gina that much. I did text her a few of the days, but I was just so excited to come back and honestly just talk to her every day. (laughs) We did try to keep in touch as much as we could. We talked on the plane. You couldn't get Wi-Fi. You you would have paid. I was going to pay for that, but it wasn't offered. It wasn't available. (laughs) Yeah. But I'm always... It's always so interesting when you go away though, because I feel like we both go through so much when we're apart as well. And um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like every time you come back, we both kind of get to recount the whatever... Like our yeah, like whatever happened. Yeah, yeah, just kind of like the hurdles that we jumped and the things that we experienced. And so yeah, welcome back. I feel like we hit <laughs> we you. hit it off with a with a bang. I mean, you just got back like two days ago. Literally two days ago. Yeah. This entire, you know what's crazy? Since I've been living, this is not that crazy though. Actually, that was the <laughs> mo- that was actually the motto of the entire trip. They're like, oh, Sam's about to speak because I said Every time before I would say anything, I'd be like, hey, you know what's crazy? Actually, it's not that crazy. Um, (laughs) And it it became like a literal joke. It was like, Sam's about to say something that's crazy. That's not that crazy. Um, But it's since I... I was just going to say, it's really funny because you do like to announce when you're about to share something. We actually talked about that yesterday too. (laughs) So that makes sense. I have to tell you something. And I'm like, what? Instead of just going into it. Instead of just telling you something. So yeah, the entire trip I kept saying, I'm about to share something that's crazy. That's not actually that crazy. Um, And that crazy, not so crazy thing right now is that once you begin to live so presently in the moment, time expands. It's so stretchy. I feel like every single day was so long because I'm in the moment. And I thought about the analogy of a movie and how if you don't fast forward the movie, it's obviously slow, but it's not slow. It's just the speed of the movie, such as the speed of your life. But if I fast forward through it and I'm not paying attention to all the details, I'm not present, then it goes by faster. So I feel like the experience of a day going by long or going by um, quickly or slowly has to do with my degree of presence. And so Mm -hmm. I was gone for one week, but I kept saying to everyone there. And since I got back to you and my partner that I feel like I've been gone for a month, Mm -hmm. Um, but it was just seven days. And so during that time, I just experienced the sensation of, I kept saying to my friends, I love this part. I love this part. And I felt this like deep appreciation for the most mundane things. I'll never forget. I was standing outside of this, I guess it was a little cafe where we had had some like beverages. It was like, I don't know, I'm obsessed now with kava, by the way, which is, I want to say sort of like matcha. It's like a root powder um, that's really popular there that they mix and it makes you feel really like grounded and like alert at the same time. Anyways, outside of that cafe, my friend Jackie and I, we were just staring at the ground and there was this 
amazing line of leaf cutter ants, I guess. Um, so there were these ants that were holding this huge, they weren't huge because they're ants, but like huge for them, <laughs> pieces of grass. They were just holding these pieces of grass and we like kneeled down on the ground and we just like watched these ants moving Oh, they were holding flowers. Sorry, they were holding flowers. And I have an incredible intense video of this, but they were holding these flowers and we just like, we were just laughing and looking at these ants and we were like, what are they doing? Like, where are they going? Like, why why are they holding those flowers? And Jackie kept saying, they're holding precious cargo, you know? Like they're just, yeah. and it was just, and it was like a, a nothing moment, but it was an everything moment because I was paying attention to it. Mm. I feel like in other times in my life, like I wouldn't even remember that. I'd be like, what? I don't remember. Well, you wouldn't like, even be looking down. I wouldn't even be looking down and I wouldn't, I wouldn't think back like, oh yeah. Like remember when we were like kneeling on the ground and looking at those little ants that were like carrying the flowers? Like I feel like I can remember every single little detail because I was just so present. Well, I feel like we've talked about this before that some of my favorite moments with my daughter are like when we're in the car and she's just looking out the window and I can see her in my rear view. Like those moments with her in the car like burned into my memory. It's not necessarily the first day of school, but like on the way there, even with you and I in our retreat in Arizona, um, some of my favorite moments of you are <laughs> when you didn't, sad. <laughs> <laughs> when you were looking pensively out the window, um, in deep thought, but that is, I remember on the plane, you were quite sad and your eyes were closed. And I just like looked at you and I was just creepily staring at you with so much love. And I just like grabbed your hand and you just like squeezed it back. And I'll never forget that moment. It was it wasn't just the retreat. Like that moment was just as big to me and my experience than the actual retreat itself. And yeah. I think something that you and I have really taught each other and grounded into is that no moment is bigger or smaller than another moment. Mm-hmm. The present moment is the moment of the mm-hmm. hour. Like this mm-hmm. is the moment because it's the one you're in. And when you learn to respect reality in that way you just become a magnet for all the good things. Because imagine just feeling appreciation for every moment, like no matter how eventful or non-eventful it is, it just creates this magnetic field around your heart. And so that's what I felt this past week. And um, I'm so confident too that that magnetism is what actually birthed the conversation we just had with Jana because- Oh my God. I feel like our hearts were just blown open during that conversation. We actually just found out before we started recording that Jana had actually had just put her dog down earlier today when we were recording. And we were like, oh my gosh, like, should we reschedule? Like, are you good? And we just want to make sure that we're creating a safe space for, you know, the energy to flow. And she said, no, I'm actually just in really like deep gratitude. Like I looked mm-hmm. through my photos of my dog, you know, I had her for 15 years and I'm, I'm feeling a lot of love. And so this is a beautiful time to record. And it was, I, I really can't say, and I'll let Gina share her thoughts, but I can't say much more about how just incredibly deeply rooted and truthful and honest this conversation was. Jenna, someone who's gone through so many things in her life, a lot of abuse, which she details in her memoir, Wise Little One which we talk about in the episode, but Mm -hmm. we just weren't expecting to go this deep. And so I'm just really grateful. I'm so grateful too. I think it's really easy for us to, you know, in this work, when we are doing the shadow work, we're healing, we're becoming aware of our patterns and our pain. It's very easy to believe that our circumstances are holding us back or our circumstances Mm -hmm. are creating a block or, you know, I can't do that because of X, Y, Z, this happened to me. And, you know, looking at Jana and her story, like her circumstances, if anything, catapulted her into her purpose and her vision and her mission. And 
I think I just really needed to hear that this week because, you know, we talk about this a lot being under the influence. And I think when you're under the influence of your circumstances and your past pain and you're stuck in the emotional charge of that pain, it's very hard to see clearly that this doesn't mean anything for you, your right now or your future. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't have to mean anything unless you assign meaning to that. And Mm -hmm. so I think for her, she completely redefined her circumstances and her story. And it's just a beautiful story to be shared. So we hope that you really get to learn also how to connect with your inner child, that we do go deep on the inner child stuff in this episode. And, and the shadow. And the shadow. Oh my gosh, they're yes. they're actually interconnected. They like, are. Yeah, because we talk about how the inner child and the shadow are both just these emotional parts of ourselves. And mm-hmm. so when we make the shadow or the inner child real, we're making our emotional self and our emotional life real. And so if you've ever felt really confused, like, what do they mean when they say inner child? Like, how do I meet that? Like, how do I talk to my inner child? I think there's a lot of rhetoric around this now as we begin to heal the parts of our, the emotions that we really just suppressed. Um, Mm -hmm. I think this will be really illuminating for you. And if you're someone who's going through a hard time, I think that it will inspire you to really see your story as the catalyst for the things that you will eventually transform in your world and others, because that is what Jana turned her pain into, her purpose. Yes, yes. So listen in. Um, After you're done listening, please come chat with us inside of our free community. Let us know what your biggest takeaways were. Um, Is there anything else I'm missing, Sam? That's it. Prepare yourselves for a raw conversation about shadow work, inner healing, and turning your pain into purpose. Hey, Spiralers, we found something that we could not wait to tell you about. We have got for you some spiritual tea. Actually, it's not tea at all, but (laughs) it is our new favorite meditation app, Superhuman. We're literally obsessed with this. I love it because unlike other meditation apps we've used before, it has meditations you can do as you go about your day not just when you're sitting or lying down. My favorite are the getting ready ones that are about 20 minutes long with affirmations that you can listen to as you start your morning or the midday pep talks, which are only two or three minutes long. And they even have specific tracks for moms. Yeah, there's so many options. And I really like how these meditations are aimed at helping you tap into the emotions of what you want to attract. Mm -hmm. They're accompanied with really moving motivational musical tracks and they're just not boring. They don't just ask you to sit there and try to clear your mind. Instead, I feel like I'm in my own music video and I'm tuning into the frequency of my future self. Yeah, I actually feel like I'm in my own movie when I'm listening to them. I know, me too. Especially when I'm doing the walking ones. There's like Mm -hmm. specific walking ones where Mimi's voice, who actually voices all of the tracks, she's like, and as you walk into your future, (laughs) I literally feel like I'm commanding this energy. And that's the entire point of the meditation is to really tune into a higher frequency. And so with our code, you can try the Superhuman app with one free month in addition to their trial offer of two complimentary weeks. That's six entire free weeks to tune into the frequency of your highest timeline. So abundant. We want you to try it for yourself and let us know what you think because you have absolutely nothing to lose and you can redeem your free six weeks of the Superhuman app now by clicking the link in our show notes and using the code SPIRALINGHIGHER with no spaces. We know you're going to love this one and we feel confident that your vibrations are going to spiral higher. 
Dana. We are so excited to have you on the podcast. I have been religiously reading your book over the past couple of weeks. And I just want to start by saying a huge thank you to you for sharing your story so so beautifully, but so raw and so honest in your in your book. And, you know, I was just gripping each page, just turning each one because it's just one thing after another that you experienced growing up. And you can feel the pain that you endured, but then you also can see so clearly the hope and the faith that 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 spurred from that. And so I just want to really start off this conversation by saying thank you so much for sharing your story because already I have been impacted and I know everyone else listening will be as well. So thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Gina and Sam, for having me and for saying all those wonderful words about my my story. <laughs> yeah, I think that's one thing that we really like to focus on on our podcast is having people share their story. I think there's so many of us who feel like our background, our narratives are so shameful. And you know, there are things, there's these parts of us, these shadows that we want to hide from. But I think when we get to meet people like you, it's like, no, that pain gets to turn into a purpose and that purpose gets to serve and help so many other people. And so you're such a beautiful example of that. So, you know, I would love for you to maybe just start and introduce our listeners to your book, what really inspired you to write it, and maybe just a little bit about your background and kind of where you've come from and where you are now. Okay, I would love to. Yeah, I'm a Southern girl and I was raised in the Deep South in the Bible Belt. And for many years, I did carry so much shame about my childhood, all the labels that I was given of white trash. And, you know, I grew up poor. My mom was pretty much a single mom. She suffered from mental illness and, and there was my brother and myself Mm -hmm. and we, um, you know, socioeconomically, we were very at the low bottom of the totem pole and uh, took handouts from the state. And my mom was in and out of mental institutions. And, you know, so there was a lot of trauma. And I write about that. And I certainly couldn't have written about that until I really met myself, until I Mm. took myself through deep healing, which never ends. Just this week, um, another layer has, has, you know, been peeled back. And the vulnerability of exposing your story in this way. I, you know, there were so many memoirs that I was in, inspired by. One was Jeanette Wall's book, The Glass Castle. Mm. And she shares about her. It was also adapted into a film. She shared about her, you know, really dysfunctional family and her parents. And I remember I would get so inspired when I would read these types of memoirs, but none of those memoirs, even Eat, Pray, Love, you know, had a little bit of some, you know, her traumas and challenges of divorce and and such, but none of them really gave us a prescription. And so my intent with the book was to give, I, I think I have 11 chapters where I put little boxes at the end of the chapter and I share with the reader you know, something to give them advice and um, actual practical tools that they could use to begin their own healing journey. Mm -hmm. I think one of my greatest teachers was Debbie Ford. And she told me, Mm -hmm. you know, Jana, you don't care what people think about you. You only care what you think. And for a long time, of course, I judged my story. I couldn't share it. And the more I healed, I'm 57 now. And the more I healed, I find I knew the story had to come out. I knew I could not go to my grave with that music in me, right? I had yes. to give that to the world. Mm. And um, 
the process of writing the book really broke me open too. And it continues to now that it's been published since July, July 12th, it published. I, you know, it's healing is like that never ending onion, right? Layer after layer after layer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. We actually at Spiraling Higher always say it's a never ending upward spiral. And it so is. there's no end to this journey. <laughs> there's an appreciation for, like you said, each layer that unfurls to reveal what is true about us. And I love that you said your favorite teacher was Debbie Ford, because one of the most life-changing books I've ever read was The Dark Side of the Light Chasers. Mm-hmm. And it was the book that really introduced me to shadow work. And I thought, wait, those are just the perceptions I have of me. What do you mean? And so I would love for you to begin to kind of begin to share with us how you started to reclaim your story. So you tell us that there was a lot of shame around the way that you grew up, the things that happened. When did you begin to confront your story with love and compassion? What really led you up to that point? I think the birth of my daughter was really the catalyst. You know, once I became pregnant and I was a single mom and here I am, you know, feeling this pressure and the weight of, I don't want to repeat what all this intergenerational trauma. And at that time, I didn't really understand that. I just knew I wanted to break the cycle of what my mother and father had done. And I was very young. I was only 20 one, when I got pregnant, 22, when I gave birth. And, and I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to do it, but I knew that there were experts out there. I knew that there were people who had the information and I was a pretty smart girl and I could figure it out. And my first, I probably life-changing book, which was Many Lives, Many Masters by Dr. Brian Wise, who I went on to train with and become a regressionist hypnotherapist. And um, yeah, that book helped me look at my childhood, you know, Sam, and say, okay, I've been running from this. I've been hiding from this. I've had so much shame. I, you know, I would lie. I'd talk about it. Even in middle school, I became, you know, a probably a habitual liar trying to hide who I was in this small town. Of course, that was a joke because everybody knew everybody. So And I lived in a fantasy world, which ended up helping me later on, because now we know how do we manifest? We create through our imagination, right? Mm. Our future, and we call it in. And I was doing that as a young child. So it was in my early 20s, but I got really serious about it once I met Debbie. And I was in my mid-30s when that happened. And um, that work changed my life because I was still... I'm going to say something kind of crass, but she used to always say it. And I think it really illustrates the point. She, she would say, Jana, you can only put ice cream on your ship for so long. Eventually Mm. it will melt. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. So why don't you deal with that ship first and then enjoy your ice cream, you know? And so I kept, you know, and it's kind of the same metaphor of like putting pink paint on a pig or, you know, pink paint over, you know, just, oh, let's make it look pretty. I thought if I became financially successful, if I looked the part, if I had trips to Europe, if I had success and I worked really hard for that with my ex-husband, he and I created, you know, a really successful life together, but I was still unhappy because Mm. as you both know, things don't make us happy right? It's an inside job. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's such a beautiful share. And I think, you know, reading through your book and just the 
the amount of abuse you witness, what you experience yourself, I think it's so such a beautiful example of how that doesn't have to define you. You know, I think these stories that reside in our minds and and we kind of see ourselves in a certain way for so long that it's so hard to break out of the fact that maybe my life can look a little bit different. And I think in the book you shared, there's so many examples of how you were able to see beyond just your circumstances. There's one part of the book that I love that you were talking about driving like a hoopty, you called it like a, a car that was kind of beat <laughs> up. But you were like, there's also beauty in that because with a luxury vehicle, you might be listening to like the fancy station, but you ended up listening to like less Brown and all of these like motivational speakers. And so I just love how you took whatever you had, whatever circumstance you had, and you turned that into something beautiful. Even at very first chapter of the book where you talked about how your parents were having an argument, you went outside and you had this beautiful connection to God in that Mm. moment. I would love for you to share that and kind of throughout your life, every time something difficult happened, there seems to be a common thread that you were able to kind of spin that even at a young age into something that was helpful for you, something that could you could hold on to and grab onto for faith. Um, So I'd love for you to kind of share how you were able to do that, even at just such a young age. Well, growing up in the South, one of the gifts I think I feel in in my childhood was, you know, they're very, in Christianity, especially where I was raised, it was, you know, life is very much wrapped up in that Wednesday and Sunday service. And as a child, it was the only place that I went that I felt a sense of, of, you know, stability and normalcy and, and then, and we would kind of go to the boring church. And then sometimes we would go to the, the Holy Roller church where they would sing and worship. And when they would sing and worship, I think one of my earliest memories, I'm around six or seven, I get what they call slain in the spirit. And when you're slain in the spirit, you're, it's in, in Hinduism and in India, um, one of my teachers now, they call it Shaktipat, which is the Sanskrit. So it's kind of an awakening of all your chakras. Mm. It's like a blowout experience where you go into a, a static state and you don't, you're not aware of anything. It's pure bliss, right? It's probably what's happening in the neuroreceptor sites is just, you know, all kinds of serotonin and, and dopamine. And, you know, it's like ecstasy. And mm-hmm. I was just in it in ecstasy. And that happened a few times at, when I was very young. It didn't happen again until I always felt, though, a presence, you know, a presence of spirit. And of course, back then I named it Jesus. I, I had names for it. I don't, I, now I see it differently. I relate with it differently. I do have a relationship with Jesus. I wouldn't consider myself, um, a religious person though. I'm very spiritual and believe in all paths, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but the one that you're talking about in particular, Gina, was, you know, it was after a lot of complex trauma. You know, I definitely have been diagnosed with CPTSD, which is, you know, just compounded every day when you live, children who live in war zones, who see and witness things that no child should see or witness. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it was an inner resource. The gift in that was I could call on and start praying. And I believe I had a near-death experience. So the trauma of my dad beating my mom once again, I'm 12 years old, I'm praying. And then all of a sudden, I just feel light and and free. I felt free. And I could still hear him screaming and her screaming and the 
And I just, I kind of remember asking like, what is happening? And all of a sudden I, I looked around and it was like, I was one with the stars and the galaxy. And mm. I was just in bliss. And I heard, cause I'm more clairaudient. I think we develop different gifts, clairvoyant, mm-hmm. clairsentient, clairaudient. Mm-hmm. Mine was definitely, I would have a hearing and I heard those are not your parents. I am. And that is not mm-hmm. your life. This is. Oh. And still to this day, when I talk about it, I get emotional because it was an awakening like I had never had. And I think being prepubescent and, you know, in that stage of, you know, about to be a teenager and, and it, it ignited what I call the inner dragon slayer. <laughs> my throat chakra that. like exploded. And then I was able to stand up to my dad and my mom and speak wow. truth. And I became kind of a truth slayer, you know, a soul slapper. I would, whatever <laughs> was there. And now I get paid for it. Back then they hated me for it. <laughs> Wow. I love that you said soul slapper because I feel like that's what I do with my clients. <laughs> I always call it a spiritual bitch slap because it's when they- It's a soul re- slap. Yeah. It's a soul slap because you're so, I felt really moved by that because I think that the spiritual awakening is awakening to the deeper life that you are, the deeper presence that you are. And then you really do quite literally die to the story of who you think you are. Mm-hmm. You know, the story that you are Sam, the story that you are Jana, the story of Gina, right? Everything that happened to you, it, it feels like literally a mask that you've been wearing and just pretending to be your whole life. And then yes. you wake up and realize, wait, I'm the one who's watching all of that. And just, I'm here for it all. It's But that's not happening to me. And I think that is something really difficult for people to hear sometimes, especially people who have been through really abusive Mm. situations. And so being that you have been someone who has gone through those things and overcome them, I would love for you to share how that perspective of a deeper life has been supportive to you. Because I think some people might see and hear that and think, oh, that's just spiritual bypassing. Like Mm -hmm. that's you not looking at your stuff. And Mm -hmm. I do sometimes have trouble actually responding to that because I feel like the response is so nuanced and only really meets people at a certain state of consciousness. But because you have come from those experiences that most people would define so, so powerfully is like, those were bad things that happened to me, um, leaving themselves in a victim state of consciousness. How did you begin to see yourself not as the victim to these stories and these events, but really as your own heroine, your own savior? Yeah, that's a beautiful question. And you're right. It, it can be spiritual bypassing and it certainly wasn't for me. I, um, the only time again, I felt peace was in nature and, and mm. was in, in worship, in devotion. And so I believe, you know, we're all operating at different states of consciousness. I came into a family of origin with some baby souls, you know, that needed, mm. you know, I didn't, I'm not a baby soul. I'm an old soul. I'm here for a purpose. I'm here to do something. And I think that deeper knowingness woke up in me when that happened. And mm-hmm. I knew I had a purpose. I knew all of this was happening for a reason. And so I went, you know, very diligently about, you know, figuring it out. And so I did the deeper work. I went to therapy. I, you know, I began to read books, become voracious in that search to understand 
you know, what is this? Why am I here? Who am I? You know, and mm. Vedanta, that's the, the number one reason we suffer is we don't know the nature of true reality. And the yes. nature of true reality is we are divine. We are not separate from the creator. We are the creator. 100%. So once I started, you know, Sam, to to understand that intellectually, and it just slowly began to seep into my experience, into my life, that I am the creator. And I began to be a meditator and, you know, and I had gifts. I mean, my mom's mental illness, she would have electroconvulsive therapy. And once they still do this, you know, but there was so much stigma you know, one flew over the cuckoo's nest and, oh, she's crazy and my mom's crazy and my mom's a victim. So I was being conditioned by this woman. I do not want to be like her. I want to be strong. I was more like, I'd rather be like my dad, you know, Mm. the monster than the victim. Mm. And right. So I started to really get that strength, um, you know, and pull, pull myself up and, and, you know, get really clear. And of course, having Taylor, my daughter, it gave me the impetus. It gave me the will, the drive to do that. Mm. And then studying metaphysics and, you know, but it's a, it's a process. So many times on podcasts, I've been asked since I've wrote the book, you know, about, about, um, I mean, we, we know we don't arrive, right? That we're here and we're still doing this work. But I'm telling you this week, I, I've been, I've been doing the audible for the book mm-hmm. and I've been, I've really had a hard time. I spent five hours in the studio and I read 20 chapters wow. and I didn't honor little Jana the whole time she was mm. sitting there and she was saying, I don't like this. I don't like being dad. I don't like being mom. I don't like role-playing these parts. Mm. It was like another trauma to her. And I left that day, the studio 10 days ago, and I collapsed in my car on the side of the road and I, and I sobbed and, and I had to meet her again, you know, it just never ends and, and honor her and not exploit her and love her and say, okay, I'm here. I'm listening. And, and I'm not giving up on not reading the book for Audible because I think it will be powerful for me to read it. I just yes. need to be patient with her and with myself. Mm-hmm. Right. And just being patient with, yeah, your needs. And I'm actually getting emotional hearing you talk as well because, you know, on this podcast, we've both shared quite a bit about our history. And although I didn't experience, you know, of course, the level of abuse that, that you had, like we all have our stories, we all have our pain. Yes. Um, and sometimes, Sometimes, you know, you can almost re-traumatize yourself in an effort to, you know, you're obviously doing the book for a reason. And so sometimes we think this is what I'm supposed to be doing and we push and push and push. But sometimes that pushing just starts to take the face of our parents or face of the trauma. And now we feel a victim again. And so I actually went through a spiral like this myself just actually yesterday. And I was really feeling deeply into just my past pain and kind of collapsing into it. But then it's just another opportunity to show up for yourself and to show yes. that inner child of you that like, I'm here. I'm like, here. I got you. And I yeah. noticed that I was pushing you too hard. And having that dialogue, um, for me at least, has been so important because my inner child's not used to hearing that. She's not yeah. used to being met with this kind of love. And, you know, you talk a lot about conditioning throughout your whole book as well. And one of the things that really stood out to me that I wrote down here was something about your dad and how he kept on, he wanted to get a hug from you and a kiss from you. And it, from that, you were kind of conditioned to do something against what you desired and to put his feelings mm-hmm. above yours. And I think mm-hmm. that is such a relatable topic, just the way that we're conditioned to not 
even think about our needs. And especially mm-hmm. in your situation where you were almost parenting your mom in a lot of ways as well. And so how, what can you say to our listeners who are maybe dealing with this people-pleasing tendency or this feeling of you know not being able to speak your truth or you know feeling like you've got to put other people above you because that's like the right thing to do? Um, what, what is your advice for someone who might be struggling with that? Well, I mean, really what people pleasers are, are caretakers, right? And in codependent relationships, and of course, in, in family of origins where it is dysfunctional, there's a meshment, everybody, you know, mm-hmm. the, say there's two or three kids, it's the kids, nobody has individuality, nobody has their own agency, you know, it's... um if one of the parents, you know, is an addict or a parent is a workaholic or they're just so emotionally disconnected, one parent, you know, might take the role of caretaker and that person believes to be a good person. I must give up what I need to make someone else happy. If they're unhappy, I must do something to make them happy. Mm. And then of course the taker which often is the addict, the person that they believe they can't care for themselves, that they need you. And so therefore they, you know, are taking from you, right? They believe you're responsible for their feelings. When people say, I tell clients all the time, if, if, if you find yourself saying you made me feel Mm. you're being a taker, you know, because people can't make you feel yeah, they can intentionally hurt you and break your heart, and but you're helpless over them. You can't control them. And so caretakers and ter- two dependent people get together and they create a codependent relationship. Mm-hmm. Now, two independent people get together that are whole and healed and they create a co-committed relationship means mm-hmm. I'm responsible for my emotions. You're responsible for yours. If you do or say something that upsets me, then I will process it and come to you and say, Hey, w- what was your intent when you said this or did this? Because I told myself a story and that story was this, that you don't love me. You don't respect me, that you think I'm an idiot, whatever it is. Is that true? And then they have an opportunity to say, oh gosh, no, like I was just very disconnected. Mm -hmm. I apologize or yeah, it was intentional. I, I wanted to be hurtful and mean and, you know, cop to it. So dysfunctional relationships, you know, people pleasers are caretakers. They believe that they are a good person. And one of my teachers would always say, you know, it selfishness, the distinction between selfishness and self-responsible. Now, mm. selfish, selfish people will call you selfish when you don't do what they want you to do. And if you consistently always do what you want to do and don't consider others, you are selfish. However, you always, to thine own self be true above all else, Shakespeare said. And it's true because if I'm not honoring my emotions, aka the inner child, right? If I'm not honoring her and I'm giving her away, I'm abandoning her. And then she's going to war with me. That's when the shadow gets created. That's when she's going to say, okay, I'm going to act out. I'm going to do things and embarrass you and behave in certain ways. And it's going to come out. And, and, you know, it gets very distorted, the personality. It's like we go to war with ourselves. And yeah. uh, does that make sense? I always... Absolutely. And I'm amazed by the synchronicity of this conversation because (laughs) I work with clients uh, in groups and in one-on-one. But yesterday, my one-on-one client had the 
biggest, most massive breakthrough because after three months of working together, she finally realized, oh my God, everyone's responsible for their own feelings. Like she was, (laughs) she didn't, she didn't know that. And I was like, no, you have to understand most people don't know that. Like most people say, you made me feel angry. You made me feel jealous. You made me feel this way. And it leaves them in a victim state of consciousness, constantly needing to manipulate what other people do and say around them so that they can feel happy. They create the experience of walking on eggshells rather than getting curious about what assumptions and meaning makings they've made about that. And it's so funny because she said to me, okay, I'm following. That makes sense. But doesn't that make me selfish? She's like, if I don't care about other people. And I said, no, you're not selfish. You get curious about what your intentions were behind that. And I asked her about this situation that came up where her friend said, oh, you made me feel this way. And she was like, um, well, I don't think I had a bad intention. And I was like, exactly. You had very positive intentions. And what your job and role in this situation to do is to explain what your intention was behind that. Her job is to get curious about what her interpretation was of that. Exactly. And so when you said co-committed relationship, I really just thought of me and Gina and the template that we've created for ourselves and for so many of our listeners, because between the two of us, we know that when we feel triggered, let's say by either one of each other, We know that it's our own story because Mm -hmm. we know that the intentions are always of the highest. Mm -hmm. And so it's actually such a beautiful teaching when we get triggered by each other because we get to reveal a part of our shadow, right? A part of ourselves that has not taken responsibility for the meaning making or the story that has been created. And so I just just wanted to say thank you for sharing uh, your explanation of codependency and people pleasing Mm. because to me, it really just points out our one core flaw, which is that we don't understand that we are responsible for everything we create, everything. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and what you said, it brings to mind um, also in the Vedas, you know, Deepak Chopra, I worked at the Chopra Center, trained with him. He's really been my teacher the longest. That teachings, the teachings of Vedanta and non-dualism is really, really, really what took me to a deeper, deeper, deeper level. And one of the teachings and Jungian shadow work comes from the Vedas. Mm-hmm. And it and it goes back to Tatvam Asi. Tatvam Asi is a scr- Sanskrit meaning. It says, I see the other in myself and myself in the other. Mm, and the mirror. It's the mirror of relationship. And so mm-hmm. if, if we all had emotional intelligence, we went to school and we went to a class where every year we sat and we talked about core painful emotions. We talked about mean making, like you're saying, how we create stories. We unpacked what's happening within us. You know, it's not all about the mind and academia and intellect, right? It's about our emotional intelligence. That's what's going to determine how happy we we are in life, how successful we are, right, is through our Mm. emotional intelligence, then we'd see a much different world, right? And so the mirror of relationship, really, it's the spiritual path, you know, Mm. both you and, um, you know, Gina and Sam, both of you are in a spiritual relationship. I always encourage, you know, clients who are alone and they aren't in relationship you know, please have community, be in relationship. Mm. It takes courage to be in relationship because they're going to be mirroring you to yourself because the true reality is there is no separation. They are you. You are me. I am you. You know, you love something in me. Hey, I'm shining the mirror back at you, right? Mm. (laughs) Yes, Yes. that's so true. I actually have a question about this that I know some of our listeners are probably wondering right now, because I think when you go on this journey and you start to realize, yes, everyone's responsible for their own emotions, their own experience, how do you handle it when you're in a relationship with someone who doesn't know that yet? 
because what can happen um, is you might say, hey, like I'm taking responsibility, responsibility for this. Like, you know, you take responsibility for that. And then they're like, well, it's not my fault. Or, you know, I, I, you're putting all the blame on me. And that's what's so easy about Sam and I is that we speak the same language. We have like the mm-hmm. same dictionary. So instantly when I say, hey, like what story are you in? She's not like, mm-hmm. what? I'm not making up a story. She's like, hmm, let me, let me inquire about that. So, right. you know, we're very privileged and lucky to have this very conscious relationship, but so many of our clients, our members are struggling because they know this, but it's so hard to embody and actually act with this when the other person doesn't have the same dictionary. So we'll love you to share about that. So this comes from Kabbalah, which, you know, Kabbalah uh, is uh, uh, Jewish mysticism. And this comes from a teaching um, it, it really talks about like, I'll give you the analogy of two planets. If mm. two planets for them to orbit and to kind of harmoniously not collide, they need to be at a similar and to be able to communicate altitude. Now, Gina and mm. Sam, you're at spiritually speaking, most likely your souls are at similar altitude. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're not bringing one another up, or one's mm. not at a higher altitude. Doesn't mean you're better or more superior. It just means the souls maybe, you know, taking more lessons. You know, have you know everything's happening for us. It's extracted its lessons and it's growing faster. Right. Because we're all here at different phases. Right. Mm-hmm. States of consciousness. Our soul. So altitude. You're similar direction. You've got to be headed in a similar direction. Say you're in a relationship with somebody and they just like to, you know, my husband and I just celebrated our anniversary in Vegas and we enjoy Vegas very differently than most people might enjoy Vegas, right? We don't gamble and, you know, we don't go to clubs and stuff, but we enjoy spas and dining and dressing nice and staying at beautiful resort. And, you know, so, um, you know, so direction. I couldn't be with somebody who just wanted to go party and do drugs or, I mean, I would never be in a relationship with somebody like that. Right. Or I had no interest in changing the world. Right. Mm. Like, why do you want to do that? I don't get it. Like I'm let's watch football, you know, like that doesn't work for me. Right. So direction and then speed. Now my ex-husband and I had a lot in common and we had a really great relationship and still do to this day. But my speed was so fast. I was so far ahead of him that I was, you know, I just, he kept pulling me back and pulling me back. And I had to finally say enough, you know, I can't do this anymore because you're dragging me back. So altitude, direction, and speed, whether it's with girlfriends, with lovers, with partners, mm. it must be similar. And and you start to see signs, you know, Gina, like I had a girlfriend um, recently I befriended and I, I'm very slow to get to know someone, right? Like um, higher, slow, fire, fast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? Get to know them, talk, get, you know, go out, do things, see them in different environments. And she began to do a lot of codependent stuff. Like, Mm. uh, and she would text me and say, if I had to cancel something, she would say, when Mm. you're sincere, let me know. 
So I would say, well, we need to talk about that, you know, because I, I need to understand your intent and in making that comment that would be like exactly what you said. She'd be like, what do you mean? Like, I'm just saying, you know, and I'm like, I was sincere, you know, you're implying I wasn't and yeah. that doesn't work for me. And it feels like you're hooking into me, wanting me to be responsible for your feelings and I'm not. And so the relationship didn't go on it ended, mm. you know, so I just know who I am. I'm very clear about it. And I let people know from the get-go. <laughs> like, this wow. Is who I am. Well, Gina can relate to this <laughs> for sure. Um, yes. Yes. We've I talked about me. this many times. Me first. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. Yes. Quickly interrupting this episode to talk about an exciting opportunity to work with both of us, our new six-month coaching mastermind, The Unlayer Itself. Gina, tell them what's happening. Together, we'll be working through the layers of self-worth, self-doubt, fear and anxiety, money trauma, nervous system dysregulation, social conditioning, generational trauma. The Unlayered Self Mastermind is truly unlike anything you'll ever experience. We literally created a container that features every single tool and practice that has ever helped us uncover our own unlayered self. Everything we learned to shed self-doubt, fear, guilt, and shame. And we had to spend collectively over half a million dollars in personal and spiritual development to now teach you what we embody. The Unlayered Self is a high-level mastermind that offers one-on-one coaching with both of us, group coaching, two in-person retreats, and an intentional community. You can get all the deeds by clicking the link at the top of our show notes. We begin the journey on September 12th. Let's get back to the episode. Yeah, that became... It's actually kind of funny. Um, we've been talking recently about how this there's a culture right now of, you know, you can't cancel plans or that... Yeah. It, it's it's so wild to me. Like I think once I became a mom, it's like my priority is, yeah, taking care of my family, taking care of me. I choose yes. me. I used to be the type of person that had migraines often. And I would just still go Mm. because I felt bad canceling. And this person might be mad if I cancel. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so wild because we should be in support of our friends and our close loved ones in taking care of themselves, even if that means that maybe we don't get to do the thing that we plan for. But I just just find that so interesting. And I just love how you just so unapologetically are like, I'm choosing me. And someone who really is on, like you said, at that planetary level, like going in the same direction, altitude, altitude, all of that. When they're there with you, they'll see the intent behind what you're saying, which is I'm taking care of me. Or somebody who's not at that altitude is like, she's selfish. She doesn't care about me. And I think it's important to draw that out so that you can see clearly where they are and you don't have to make excuses or try to justify. So that was very well said. Thank you so much. And I think it's also, you know, we haven't learned many adults how to manage disappointment. Mm. Like we Mm -hmm. have to manage, we're adults. I said to her, listen, I understand you're disappointed you didn't get to spend the day with me. And, you know, but things came up and it just wasn't in flow. It was snowing. There was a weather issue. I mean, really, I had no control over it. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, but I just didn't like how she tried to hook in. And I said, so you've got to learn how to manage your disappointments. You're an adult. And um, I love the holistic psychologist, Nicola Preya. She talks about that. As well, you know, manage your disappointments. You're an adult. Like, okay, I got it. Check. (laughs) Right. I always um, tell my clients that every single emotion is an opportunity and a window into your subconscious, right? Until you feel an emotion, you can't get curious about what you made that mean. Because when Gina cancels on me, I actually don't experience any disappointment. Yeah. I really don't yeah. um, because I know that she's doing what's best for her and what's best for her is what's best for us as a 
co-committed partners. So, but if I did experience disappointment, I would be able to get curious about what my expectation was of her and probably reveal to myself that I was relying on her and her doing the thing with me to make me happy. And this is when I realized that I'm both the problem and the solution to my own suffering is like, oh, like I created that expectation. I hooked into her. I needed her to do that uh, in order for me to be happy. Happy. Now she's not doing it. I'm saying my my happiness is absent when in reality was always within my control. And I think this can lead us into uh, a separate sort of... um, like branch of this conversation. But I think when we are conscious in this way, we are at this certain altitude and we have to break it to our friends or partners that that is not my responsibility. Um, these are my intentions. I think we have to inevitably ac- accept sometimes that we will be the villain in the story. Um, and I know yeah. Gina had to deal with that. Yeah, very uncomfortable because that really comes from my conditioning of wanting to be liked and accepted. And, you know, and you feel like it's your responsibility to make that person happy, right? Not even that you're putting, you know, your happiness in them. It's like, I have to make her happy. Um, And so I, I am a hundred percent okay with being the villain because I'm not the villain to myself, right? Mm-hmm. Because in the in the opposite of that, I'm the villain treating myself terribly just exactly. to help this other person, and that's backwards. Yeah. I think if we all step into the hero story of our own story, then none of us are going to be a victim to anything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it can be really got, hard to hear that, and it's why I got lit up with Debbie Ford and the way she presented mm. shadow work. Because when I first heard her speak, and she said, "Hi, I'm Debbie Ford, and I'm a bitch," and I was like, "Oh my <laughs> god!" I'm looking around the room like, "Yeah, me too," but I'm trying to hide that shit. Yeah, <laughs> and it come out, you know, and it embarrassed me, and I would rage at my daughter, and I would behave in ways that I just had so much shame, and I knew I had a lot of anger from my childhood, and mm, so I was too. trying to put the pink paint, the ice cream over it. And, and once she came into my life and she gave me permission at this huge spiritual conference to own that, yeah, there's a part of me. It certainly isn't the totality, but there's a part of me that you better not mess with me because I had a gun put to my head, because I had a father who raged, because I went through a lot of crap. I, I have, you know, some strength inside of me and I don't want to get rid of her. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not somebody that somebody's going to walk over or take advantage of. I'm not prey. I love, I love where you're going with this because I always tell my clients, if you don't own the shadow, it owns you. Exactly. So yes. And so I would love for you to actually talk about that process of reclaiming the shadowy parts, because I know that you've had to look into your past and see the parts of you that really just developed as coping mechanisms to the abuse that you faced. And so how can we reclaim those parts um, in a way that allows them to empower us? Because I think, you know, Gina and I have talked a lot about how we have these really fearful perfectionist tendencies. And for a long time, we kept trying to get rid of them. Like, yeah. oh, like why am I being such a perfectionist? Like, why do I keep trying to control this process? But when we really looked at the the motivations and concerns of that part of us, that, yeah, that part of us, um, we could actually see what its intent was and learn to reintegrate it into ourselves so that it was actually helpful. But I, I don't have a, a clear way of explaining how I did that. And I even said to Gina yesterday, I don't know how I did that. I just, I could just see it. And so I'm wondering if you actually have a process. And since you yes. work so closely with Debbie Ford, who talks so much about shadow work, and I'll mm-hmm. make sure to link that book along with Jana's book too, because it's so empowering. But could you tell us a little bit more about how you reclaimed the parts of your shadow and really how you began to meet your inner child? 
Yeah. And Sam, her book and all that information's in my book. So, you know, somebody Amazing. reads the book. So, yeah. So Amazing. Debbie was masterful at really extracting and simplifying shadow. And what she said is, this is a Ken Wilbur term. It, you're either affected or you're informed. If you're affected Ooh. by someone, right, then it's an emotional trigger, a button's push. So the distinction is I'm affected versus informed. The three of us wow. could go to lunch. Our waiter could be, you know, in the weeds. It, you know, he could be distracted. You know, maybe, you know, Sam and I are just like, oh, you know, whatever, we've waited tables before. We don't care. And Gina's getting triggered and she's telling, and we're all experiencing the same thing. We've all seen this happen. Yep. And Gina's just like, what a dick he is. And she's getting all <laughs> angry. And, you know, why is he? Because maybe her core wound, a core false belief, that's her operating system is I'm invisible. Right. Mm-hmm. Maybe as a little girl, she didn't feel seen or heard by mom and dad. And that's a trauma. You know, yeah, yeah, I had the big T traumas maybe, but trauma's trauma. And trauma is really defined in something, how we internalize something. Right. And so mm-hmm. it was the internal meaning. And so, you know, let's say Gina and using, you know, you as an example, Gina, that you were, you know, you're getting really triggered by him. And so you would want to first identify it. And so step one is you would ask yourself, what kind of person would do that? So mm-hmm. you want to get the quality. Oh, he's, he's distracted. He's disconnected. He's uncaring. He's, yeah. you, you know, you get the quality. What is it that's really pushing your button? Okay. Or it could be when we care what people think about us, we get triggered often because we immediately create a story. We think, what are they thinking of me? Mm -hmm. What do do they think I'm an idiot or they think I'm, you know, so it's Mm -hmm. either Mm -hmm. what kind of person would do that or what do I think they think of me? Mm. Then you get the quality. Now, step two, you own it. I am that. Mm. I am that. Have I been that way ever in the past? Distracted, disconnected. Mm. I worked with four shadows myself this week. It was um, uh, disconnected, um, vain, materialistic. And um, I keep having the the fourth one. I keep asking my husband. It's the one probably I need to most because <laughs> I keep forgetting what it is. But we'll go with those three. So disconnected, right. vain, and materialistic. I was set on having this dress for my anniversary night, and I couldn't find it. And I was getting mad, and you know. And then I'm like focused on how I'm looking, and all my lashes need to be done, and I'm so vain, and you know, I was kind of spiraling. Mm. I told you I had a pretty tough week this week, knowing I was gonna put my beloved dog down and, you know, just, it's a lot, right. Putting this Mm -hmm. book out in the world. So I, you, then you go to the mirror and so you own it. I've been this way in the past, presently, possible future. Like we're not murderers, but Hey, if we were put in a situation, somebody was going to kill our child or something, and we might do something to protect our loved ones and kill somebody. But that doesn't mean we're a murderer. It just means it's dormant. It's lying there somewhere. These qualities, every quality that exists on this planet has the potential to exist within each of us, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. So then, but also this is the most important piece in step two, owning it. You need to look at yourself. Like I would work with clients and they'll say, you know, I'm in this relationship and he's abusive to me, verbally talks down to me, blah, blah, blah. And, And then I'm like, okay, are you really ready? The soul slap, right? to accept Mm -hmm. what I'm hearing you say, you are abusive. 
you don't mm-hmm. value yourself. And they're like, yeah. oh, I would never <gasps> abuse anyone like that. I said, oh no, I'm not saying that. You're doing it Abusing to the most yourself. important person in the world to you, you. So you turn it back on yourself, you know, am I disconnected with myself? Yes. Am I, you know, like all the things, right? Of course I can see my vanity. Of course I can see my, my materialism, but I'm also, we can't have one without the other. And this is where people get really confused. How do we know it's daylight right now? I'll ask this simple question Mm -hmm. and people say, well, the sun's out. And I'm like, "Mm, no, that's actually not how we know. It's because it's not dark. Exactly. Because we've experienced the opposite. Now, if it never was dark, we probably would never talk about daylight and sunlight. And it would just, we would live and move and have our being in this daylight, Mm -hmm. right? Like a fish in water. I'm sure it doesn't say, oh, the water feels good until it's out of the water, right? (laughs) Yeah. Or the bird in the air until it's caged. So these are mysteries, right? And we can't, we, we live in this world of duality. Ultimate truth is non-duality, is oneness, but we're experiencing duality. And so the shadow, whether it's our light too, you know, most people think shadow of dark, but, you know, I cast my shadow on Debbie for many years. I talk about in the book and put her on a pedestal. And, you know, like, oh, she's this New York Times bestselling author. Oh, she's so wise. Oh, oh. And I had to pull back and take my power back. And it was Mm -hmm. tough. I had to face the teacher and leave. And, you know, it was, it was challenging. It was another part of me growing into my own agency and own sovereignty as a teacher. And, Mm -hmm. um, and then the third step, of course, once you've identified it, you've owned it. Now you embrace it and embracing it is embracing that little girl. That's Wait, little Jana. Jana. <laughs> I have my little baby picture you too. Do? I have oh. mine right there. Sam oh got that for me. <laughs> so for those I of told, you listening, yeah. we just revealed our little uh, young child, inner child photos of ourselves on our phone backgrounds. That's so sweet. I tell everybody to do that because that's going to get you to have this relationship as if they're sitting right here with you. You know, I asked her today, hey, baby girl, what do you want to wear today? And she said, white. You know, because she put down her beloved puppy and she didn't want to wear black. She wanted to wear white. And she told me, I just want to be grateful that I had, you know, 15 years and, and, you know, with her and, you know, I talked to her and, and you make them real, you make your emotional self real. And then going Mm. back to the shadow work, it's so the last step, once you embrace it, that's, I look at little Jana and I realize there was a time she has reasons to act out the way she does sometimes to be materialistic. Yes. You, yeah. you know, you read the book, you know, I was poor. I didn't have pretty clothes. I had crooked teeth. Like, so she's like got something to prove. I want to look pretty. I want a new dress. And yeah, you know, and she was pitching a fit cause she couldn't find it in Vegas. And, you know, and yes. I, so I start to love her and I'm like, Oh, you know, you're beautiful without the perfect dress. And I understand it. And instead of being mad at myself or being angry and calling myself materialistic. It's just Mm. a part of me. Mm. I love 
love that you said making the emotional self real, because I think that really is the crux of inner child work. People who are confused about like, what is the inner child? Like, who is that? Like, how do I make contact with that? It's like, it's just your emotional self. And a lot of people, what I've realized and why our coaching and our work is so important is because people don't have a relationship with their own self. And I think that is a difference between someone who suffers and someone who thrives. The people I see who are thriving, they have a deep relationship with themselves. They know what their motivations are. They know what their pains are. And I find that the people pleasers are the ones who haven't really created that relationship yet. So they keep trying to take care of the emotions of other people. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so I think it's easier too to be compassionate to the emotional selves of other people because you can see them, Mm -hmm. right? You can see the expression on their face when they're disappointed or when they're angry. It's easier to respond to that and, you know, either fight with it or offer compassion to it. But we don't do that with us. Mm -hmm. I think um, there was one day, this is the weirdest thing I've ever done, but I actually had a camera that I filmed myself when I was really sad one day because I just I was like, what do I look like when I'm sad? I don't, because I just beat myself up so much for being sad. You know, in my Mm -hmm. household, that was not really an emotion that was modeled or accepted. Mm -hmm. And so Gina knows this, but I just, I just would not let myself cry. Like I've only really started doing that the last two years and it's becoming more frequent, not because I'm experiencing more negative things, but because whenever I feel it, I just, I just let it happen. And I'm Mm. there for myself and I parent myself through it. But I actually filmed myself for, I want to say like 30 or so minutes. And then I actually forgot that the camera was there. And then it was like days later when I rewatched this and my heart just broke. Mm. I could just see that I was a person. And I know that sounds insane because we don't think of ourselves as people. We're just like floating heads that walk around. (laughs) Um, But I saw myself as a human being with feelings. And I just, I just wanted to go back in time and hold that version of myself. But what I realized is that I don't have to go back in time. I can just do that for myself in every now moment. Yes. The next time that I'm sad, I can do that for myself. The next time I'm angry, I can ask what happened. You know, why, what's the disappointment? You know, what was the expectation? I can do that with myself. And mm-hmm. it's just been the most incredible journey I've been on to meet myself. And so I love that your book is really inspiring people to make contact with themselves and really to um, inspiring people to realize that it's actually the most painful parts that bring you back into reunion Mm -hmm. with yourself. I don't think that we can know, like you said, the contrast, the day and the night, we can't know the reunion with ourselves without leaving. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. so beautiful. I this morning going through old pictures with my dog. I, I it was during the time of my divorce, and I had adopted these dogs, and they were my saving grace because my daughter was grown, and I was out here in New Mexico alone, and you know I was I was chopping wood and carrying water and doing the best I could to survive again, and and you know, little Jana, I just really, that was when I really dove into inner child work. I had done it in the nineties and, but I really recommitted and found a teacher and and began that journey. And the reparenting process, you know, that I was taught, I've really simplified it to three steps, which is emotion arises. And I, and I, you know, say, okay, I I have an intent to understand what do you want to talk to me about? So I treat the emotion like a third person, you know, like the child come talk to me, tell me what's going on. And 
I'm feeling anxious. Okay. And then I call in spirit to help me support me because sometimes emotions are so intense. We don't know how to handle them and we're not alone. And we got to remind ourselves that we've got support so that, you know, psycho spirituality is really the heart of all my teachings, you know, the connection to, to, you know, spirit and, and psychology. And so I call in spirit. Okay. And I imagine little Jana sitting in my lap. And in that moment, I am a healthy adult. I'm being mm-hmm. right? right. I'm not identified adult child. I'm not 57 acting five. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm actually consciously, intentionally taking full responsibility for my emotions. So I sit her in my lap and I look at the picture often and I close my eyes and I see her. Okay. What, what am I saying? that's making you anxious because anxiety Mm. is an emotion, a suffering emotion. It's one we create, right? There's only about five core painful emotions, grief. We're not Mm going to get out of life without grieving and sorrow, Um, heartbreak, heartache. My heart feels real broken right now. I'm grieving. That's, these are all natural. I can't do a process over these feelings. I have to surrender into them and allow, you know, it to, the process to flow, right? They say yeah. uh, strong emotion lasts usually about 90 seconds unless you start pushing up against it. But you yep, both right. know that grief is a process. There's stages. And then there's fear and present danger. Now, anxiety would be a derivative of fear. And general yep. anxiety disorder is at an all-time high because we've got a lot of talking heads in their heads telling themselves worst case scenarios of a future that haven't came that hasn't came and yeah. it's terrorizing the child. <clears throat> yeah. And, yes. And so, the child is like, oh my gosh, like are we are we serious? Yeah. Like is there gonna be a war? Like, do we need to go? Like I'm, imagine well, Gina and I talk about this all the time. Yes. Like imagine your parent just like being scared all the time in your house. Like you would be scared too. Yeah. Like you would just naturally start to develop uh yeah, anxiety makes so much sense when you see it from that lens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'll say, what am I saying to you? And immediately she tells me, well, you keep watching all this stuff about Maui and children are missing and, and you know, and people are dying and and I don't know what to do about that. And, and you're telling me, you know, the retreat we're getting ready to do in Florida and, you know, I, it just, you know, scaring myself you know, focusing on things. Our attention is our most valuable asset. What we put it on fertilizes things. So I've been fertilizing Mm. some things this week that I'm helpless over and they break my heart. And my little girl, my inner child feels like, okay, enough. I can't handle anymore. And so Mm. I listen, I lean in and I connect to spirit and I say, you know, what is the false belief? And the false belief might be, I have some sort of responsibility or I'm, you know, I shouldn't be happy because people are suffering or, you know, some belief I developed over the years. And then what is the truth? Of course, spirit will always tell you the truth, you know, lean on me. I got the, I got the whole world. I mean, I'm, you know, build your faith, you know, be still and know I am God. Everything's okay. So I'll start to hear that voice of spirit soothe me. Mm. And then I just feel kind of like, you know, I'm being held you know, the adult and the child's being held. And then what do I need to do? And so what I got this week was, you know, refrain from social media, no watching, do some detox, you know, no drinking, no like really clean living. Um, Not that I don't clean live, but, you know, just really take it to the next level. 
and um, yeah, and then take the action, do it because nothing happens until we take action. And that mm. is the reparenting process for me and what I teach. Mm. I love that. I think for me personally, it's been so helpful to have my daughter because she yeah. really is a personification <laughs> of my inner child. Yes. And Literally. so um every time like she's going through something, I'm like, oh wait, like I I feel that. And and how would I respond? Like basically for me, when I think about how I need to be held or taken care of, I always just think, what would I do for her? Yeah. Um, but one thing that has been helpful for me is actually doing mirror work. Um, very similar to Sam's filming um, herself. Um, but I remember this one day, I was so mad at myself for something. I can't remember. I was so upset. I was falling apart. I was so just had such intense emotion of just anger and shame and guilt. And I remember I was like, I'm going to go talk to myself in the mirror and talk to this inner child. And I started crying saying like, I just don't want you to be mad at me anymore. Like, please don't be mad. Um, and the the adult version of me was like, I, I don't even want to be mad at you. Like, and it was just this realization of neither of us want this emotion of anger and shame and guilt. And something that I do, um, is actually like hold my face um, mm. as I'm crying because there's something so, um, I don't know, just loving about that, that mm-hmm. touch, that embrace that makes me feel safe. And that's just something I wanted to put out there for anybody who's trying to practice connecting with that part of you and actually opening up that dialogue and conversing with yourself can be really supportive of and uncovering. Also, hand on left side of heart and hand on low belly and rocking. Okay, yeah. And you yes. know how when they're babies, we hold them like this and we rock and we, sh- sometimes yes. I do that. I'm just like, it's okay. Like soothe myself like a loving mother. Yes. Yes. And when we can do that, I think so much of what we teach too, is that your story follows your state. So, you know, if we can focus on settling the nervous system first, and that's what I do with my daughter when she is Oh my gosh, yesterday she actually read a book that super freaked her out. And I could, she was waiting for me to come in the room and she was crying in the bathroom. So I opened the door um, to let her know I was here, but that freaked her out even more. And she was like, ah, and she just like hid behind the towel. And then she just grabbed me and just was shaking, physically shaking. And I just held Mm. her. And it wasn't about, don't listen to the book. The book is fake. fake." I didn't say any of that. It was more about calming her nervous system, showing her that she's safe. And then once she was in a place of, okay, I know I'm safe, then it could be the lesson or whatever. And so I think that's a really important piece for us as we're doing this work on ourselves is how can we settle ourselves first? And then we'll figure out the how from that place. Um, now, on that note, um, we're, we're nearing the end of this episode here. We always want to ask our guests a final question. Um, and the question is revolving around the title of our podcast, which is called Spiraling Higher. Something that we want everyone to know is that no matter where you are in your journey, if you are a spiritual teacher, hypnotherapist, you know, an author, we all still spiral through a lot of these common themes in our life. And you already named, you know, three or four shadows that you were dealing with just this week, but we would love for you to share what are some common themes that you tend to spiral through on a repeated basis throughout your life. Um, we would just love for you to share that so people can feel just seen and yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it, it's, it's really astounding how, you know, our operating system from that first primary seven years develops us. And of course that mine was, I am not enough. And this is so mm. common with people I work with, not good enough, not enough. There's never enough 
you know, that's where the materialism comes in, this voracious appetite for things in this material world, you know, that even though we know don't bring us happiness, but we keep pursuing them. And this past week, you know, I, I met myself again at a deeper le- level and I, you know, it was like, I, I said to my husband, it's just amazing. It breaks his heart to see me suffer. And mm. he'll often say he feels he never gives me feedback. I think he loves me so much. He just think he sees just my goodness, my heart. Mm-hmm. And I ask for feedback a lot because I feel like we need it. And one time he gave me feedback. The only time was you're not content. And I said, well, you know, I, I, I don't want to be content. I always want to be going to my next level, to my next level, spiraling Mm. higher. And he, and I think I'm now approaching my second Saturn return in astrology, um, which is all about, I just had a reading really about me handing the torch to my students and people I've trained so that I can enjoy my, my grandchildren. My daughter Mm. just told me she's pregnant with our second. Oh, and child. oh my gosh, that's so beautiful. <laughs> and, um, and they're in Florida and I'm in New Mexico and I want to be closer. And, and I am telling little Jana, you're not in survival anymore. You know, it's, mm, it's yeah. time to relax and you've done beautiful things in the world and you put your story out there and now it's time to enjoy. You deserve this. You know, you don't have to prove yourself anymore because there's still a big Mm. part of me still trying to prove myself. Mm. I'm so glad you said that because when we talk about manifestation, um, it naturally creates the illusion of time, right? Like, oh, like over there, I will have manifested that instead of really and it's always like this um, chasing behind the goalpost yeah. sensation. Um, something I said to my students recently at a retreat was, "No, you become the goalpost. <laughs> like you are the you are the moving goalpost. There's no goalpost ahead. That's just an illusion." And yeah, I can see how creating the relationship with the inner child and letting her know, like it's actually okay and safe to relax because um, Gina and I have had that hustling energy that we've had to <laughs> detox from. Um, and it's been very intentional this past year detoxing from that. And it felt like, it felt like shit, yes. honestly, at first, Terrible. because the inner child was like, what are we going to do if we don't do all of this right. all at once? Fast, fast, fast. <laughs> and we were like, you're not going to die. Like I got you. Like, yeah. and it was, and it was terrifying. And so I love that you said that as a theme um, at this stage, even in your life, because <laughs> I think people beat themselves up for constantly feeling that way. Um, but it's just, it's one of the human contracts, I think that we sign off on when we Mm -hmm. come down here to learn how to alchemize. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Jana. I hope everybody reads your story and gets to know your work. Um, just thank you so much for sharing so vulnerably, um, here. Um, I think I got emotional quite a few times here. Um, but it's just because it just resonates so deeply and I know our listeners are going to love hearing this. So we'll have all of your links and everything in the show notes. Um, but yeah, thank you again for being here. Well, thank you both for having me. It's just been an honor and a privilege and I'm excited to follow your work and Mm. get to know you guys better too. Thank you, Thank so, you much. so much, Jana. And to our listeners, if you're looking to connect more deeply with your inner child and heal your shadows and really turn your pain into purpose, uh, we want you to read Wise Little One. And so like Gina said, we'll have that in the show notes. And if you love this episode, join us inside of the free Spiraling Higher community. We can chat more about Jana's story in there. See you on the flip side. Mm-hmm.
Thank you so much for listening to this honest conversation. We hope it brought you peace, clarity, and a little bit further along your spiritual journey. If you loved this episode, it would mean the world to us if you left us a five-star rating and a review so we can bring you more conscious conversations, spiritual topics, and guests. And we lovingly invite you to join our free Spiraling Higher community by clicking the link in the show notes to continue this healing dialogue and share with us how this episode impacted you. Come on in, introduce yourself, and meet your conscious besties in a safe space for healing conversations between us and other like-minded people on their healing journey. Here's to Spiraling Higher. Thank you.